0: you got to plug it in. Is that better? Yeah. Not only does it only work in the on position, you have to actually plug it in, too. So thanks, thanks a lot for catching me on that, Aaron. Hey, we're glad you're here. If this is your first time here, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, today's going to be a unique day. We've been doing a unique series, and I just want to kind of keep you in line with what God's been doing at our church, not only in people giving their life to Jesus and uh, following Him in Believer's Baptism, but also in the series that we've been in. We've been in a series called Make Me Like. And the Make Me Like series is a series connected to relationships. And so each time we've looked at it, we've looked at a mentor-mentee relationship. We've been doing that through the Old Testament. We've been walking through the New Testament. And today we're going to look at another one. But before I get there, I just want to give you an update on what God's been doing in this series. So one thing he's been doing is obviously people have been giving their life to Christ. And that's something that we're most excited about. Because that's the most important decision you will ever make is the day that you give your life to Jesus. And you see him fill you with his very presence. And what you saw today in Believer's. Baptism is the living illustration that Jesus himself gave, which is called believers' baptism, that we were buried with him in death, and just like He rose from the dead, we rise. What's the first thing you do when you come out of the waters of baptism? You breathe. And all through the scriptures, it says that God breathes into our lungs and we become living souls. And so that's what he does, not only at the first. Uh, Birth, but he also does every time someone is born again. And so that's why baptism is a great symbol of how God breathes into us and changes our lives. The other thing that God's been doing is he's been having people join different groups. Brother Jim was just walking up to me right before the service. He's like, hey, man, you got to let them know we're praying on Tuesday nights. I'm with you, brother. And I wanted you to know that not only do we have a new prayer meeting on Tuesday nights that you can talk to that guy about, but if you go by the grow desk, you can find out there's all kinds of new groups that God is birthing each week at our church. People getting together just to share their lives together. The groups that are already existing that you can join. And there's nothing like sharing your life with other people, praying with them. Growing with them, crying with them, talking with them, talking about God's word with them, and so the groups have been actually growing quite a bit. We've been giving away our lives in some very interesting ways. In fact, one of the things that we've been seeing is God's been showing up in a very faithful way to our church. One of the things that we know as a church is we got to replace some boilers. That's like just a literal physical thing we've got to do. But we also are trying to move missionally to be able to partner to plant more churches and see God's gospel reached all over our peninsula. And we've been raising money for that. That's a unique money. If you're a guest, this is something we're doing internally. It's not something we're asking guests to give to, but our people that call this our home have raised almost $19,000 for the advancement of the gospel across our peninsula, especially to help with the boilers. And I want you to let you know you're doing a great job, church, and we're gonna continue to do that. We'll raise that from now until November the 5th. And y'all are doing some good things in that. The other thing that's been happening is we've been missionally engaging the community and we've got some cool stuff that's happening. I know that this brother over here has been doing the Haunted Trail and it's been good uh, raising money for Laurel and the uh, bookstore down there as well as the Boys and Girls Club, right? And the library and the Boys and Girls Club, which is pretty cool. And then we'll be having Trunk or Treat coming up uh, October 31st, which Brittany's like, yay, we get to dress up and look goofy and hand out candy. What can go wrong, right, Brittany? Give kids sugar and send them home. (laughs) So we'll be doing that on October 31st, and during that, we'll be able to connect with people and do some cool stuff. And I have a special opportunity for you that we'll talk about at the end of the service today. If you're familiar with something called Code Purple, we've got a gentleman whose nickname is Gio. He's here with us today at the end of the service. He's going to give a brief announcement and how we as a church and other churches across our peninsula partner together to make sure that there's not one person that will ever freeze to death on our peninsula, that they've got a place to go where they can be warm, even if they don't have an address in this season. He's going to tell you more about that at the the end of the service. And that's one of the ways that we partner missionally To impact the community around us. So let's talk about week six. The relationship we're going to look at today is David and Solomon. If you've never read the Bible or the Bible's new to you or you're new to Christianity, let me just explain who these two people are briefly and then we'll jump into an amazing passage about them. So King David is called in the Old Testament, a guy after God's own heart. Now, how many of you have read that and went, I don't get that? No, no one's willing to, okay. You're the only one gutsy enough, Jake. Okay, Jake's with me. You read that King David's a guy after God's own heart and you're like, how is that possible? Why is that confusing, Jake? He's a messed up dude. He not only is messed up, he commits murder, adultery and all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're like, okay, how is this guy a guy after God's own heart? And so that's the first thing we need to address in talking about this character. Well, King David's a guy after God's own heart because although he screwed up, Although he's messed up, although he's got a life that's kind of checkered and got some issues, he always came back to want to know what did God want and how can I follow him faithfully? Now that's encouraging to me because if you're like me, my life is pretty messed up at certain seasons. And I look at that and I'm like, "Mm, if David can be a guy after God's own heart, maybe there's hope for me. So that's the first thing about what the Bible says about David that encourages me. Even though he wasn't perfect, he kept coming back to what do you want, God? And how can I turn my life around to follow you? And then he had this one kid named Solomon. Now what's Solomon known for? Does anybody know? He's wise, right? he He got to pray and ask for anything. He said, Lord, make me wise, right? Which is interesting because he comes out of the line of David. And if you didn't know this, this is David's son. And it's his son through a really interesting relationship. So one of the things if you don't know about David is when he commits the murder, what he actually does is during the time when kings are supposed to be going out and going to war, David stayed home instead of going out and doing what kings are supposed to do, leading his people into this war. And so while he was there, he saw this really hot chick who was hanging out sunbathing, kind of a different kind of bathing, but we'll get to that on a different day, on top of the roof. And everybody know what her name is? Isn't that kind of, and I know that it works in the English, but not in the Hebrew, but that's kind of funny, huh? Bath, sheep, I can't wait. Anyway, so he, he catches her kind of in an exposed moment, lusts for her, brings her to the palace, knocks up a gal that's not his wife, and then says, I know how to fix this. I'll bring her husband home from war and they'll think it's his kid. Doesn't happen. Okay, this is all David. Solomon is the result later on of this union. And then David says, oh, here's what we'll do. We'll just put this guy at the front of uh, one of the areas where the the heat, the, the battle is really hot and we'll have the uh, army withdraw. And that's how he kills her husband and ends up marrying this gal who then becomes the mother of Solomon. Now you hear that and you go, well, dag on, my life's not that bad after all, isn't it? And so obviously there were some real struggles with this father and son. Obviously there's some struggles within this family, amen or oh me. And then within that, David comes to the very end of his life and he wants to leave his son Solomon some advice. And in the Bible, it captures this piece of advice. So in 1 Kings chapter 2, which we're going to get to in a second, you get to hear King David's final words, his last words to his son. And in this, I believe that there's something there for you and I, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how far we've drifted from God, no matter how messed up our family's got, even with all that was going on with King David, listen to what he says to his son Solomon in first Kings chapter two, one through four. He says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. If we were paraphrasing this, he would have said, I'm about to take a dirt nap. That's what that literally means, okay? So be strong, show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his requirements as written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all of their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So this is David's last words to Solomon, father to son. And what I want to do is break this down in just three very simple ways that I think can show us what a mentor-mentee relationship can be, especially from father to son. Now, this is a touchy topic because if you're like me, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. But what you need to know is that in Scripture, we have a great model from the Father in heaven to the relationship that we can have, and we get glimpses of it with real people in Scripture. This is a glimpse, I think, of some really good advice that God put into the heart of David, especially when he was at the end of his life wanting to end well. And here's the first thing he was saying, grow up, grow up. I love this out of verse one and two. He literally says, when when the time drew near for David to die, he gave his charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man. Have you guys ever been around someone, okay? And you've done this. You've watched their behavior. You've been hanging out with them. You've got to the point of frustration. And you go, would you please just grow up? That's kind of the feel and the vibe here. David's like, he's about 20, by the way, is what we think Solomon's about that age right now. And he's like, I want you to grow up. I want you to man up. I want you to be a man. I want you to actually exemplify what it means to be a man. And it's interesting that that's something that's on the heart of David when he's about to meet his Lord and Savior, is he wants his son to know to grow up. Growing up is an interesting phrase there because depending on your lens, depending on where you've come in life, your idea of what a man is or what a woman is is very skewed and different. And that was true not only of David, but for each one of us culturally. When I was looking at this, one of the things that came came to my mind was 1 Corinthians. You can write this off to the side, chapter 13. Verses 10 through 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 through 11. And this came to my mind when I was thinking about this principle. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a. I reasoned like a. But when I became a man, I put away childish things behind me. I think the Holy Spirit has connected these two verses together for us. One in the new, one in the old. And I think that when it comes to being a man, this is something that we struggle with. We struggle with it with our definitions of marriage. We struggle with it with just our definitions of what a man is, what a woman is. And I think that God today, for the people of God gathered in this place, wants us to define well what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman. And the definitions of growing up may surprise you because maybe you grew up with the 1950s idea of what being a man and a woman is. Maybe you grew up with a modern idea. Maybe you grew up with an more ancient idea. Maybe you're so confused you can't even define what a man is or a woman is in the culture that you live in. But I want you to know that there is a biblical definition and it's beautiful. It's whole. And it's something that will change the way that we think when it means to grow up. Here's the, here's the first thing. I'm gonna break them down for you. What is a man? The first thing a man is is this. It's humility before God. Humility before Before God. By the way, if you want to break woman off to the side of that, guess what the first thing it is to be a woman? Humility before God. And the first thing that we humbly submit before God is, God, I don't want to define my definition of manhood. I don't want my definition of womanhood. I want your definition of that. I want your definition of marriage, God. Not the world's definition. I want your definition. And it takes humility to receive what God says to us. Because we have to admit at some point, well, maybe my definition got fouled up. Maybe it was messed up just a little bit. Maybe the parents I had or the culture that I came up in skewed that, changed that, and it kind of got down inside. And I need to examine that only from what the scriptures say. And when I start to look at that, hmm, it might challenge my whole worldview. There's two ideas around marriage within the Christian world. I just want to give them both to you for a second. One's called, these are fancy words. You can write them down later and Google them. One's called egalitarianism and one's called complementarianism. They're very fancy words. By the way, if you're around Christianity long enough, we got a fancy word for everything that you can break down to mean something simpler, okay? And all they mean is this. The egalitarian view says, hey, men and women are exactly the same and their roles are interchangeable. That's essentially what egalitarianism says. Complementarian says, no, they have very unique and different roles, but they're meant to... Compliment one another in the marriage. And, and by the way, there's good support for both. I'll let you figure out which one you like. Okay? But within those two views, those two competing ideas, even within the Christian, the Christian worldview, it means that we struggle to even know sometimes what's my role? What's my role as the husband? What's my role as the wife? What's my role as a good man? What's my role as a good woman? And, and even in developing this, my wife walked in on me, don't laugh at me at this, okay? Because when I, I do my real hard developing messages on Saturday morning, and she's usually out there working, and I'm working on this, and she walks in, I'm crying. I don't know if you've ever been caught crying as a guy, okay? And I'm not, I'm, the older I get, the more tender I get, but I don't like being told I'm tender, and I don't like it when people see me when I'm tender. Amen, guys? <laughs> so wife walks in and says, what's the matter? Did somebody die? I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just feeling the pressure and the weight of this, this issue that it it really is something that's attacking our culture. And I feel the weight of it. And I'm like, people are so confused. And then here, the last thing that David's gonna say to Solomon is grow up, man up, woman up, he says. In this case, man up to his son. And that takes humility to receive. So I want you to be humble this morning for the next three I'm about to give you. They may challenge your whole view of manhood or womanhood. Here's the second thing with being a godly man. A godly man has a discipline of purpose. They discipline themselves for purpose. And how they do that is they control their appetite, obviously in different ways, okay? But they control their appetite. And what do I mean by this? One of the things that you'll see that's different between a boy and a man is boys can't control their appetites. Have y'all noticed that? Anybody ever have a teen in their house? What happens to your fridge? That's just the food part, okay? What about video games? It's time to stop and go to bed. No, no, we can do a little bit more. You can't control it, right? It's out of control. When you're a teenage boy and you see a hot girl, I mean, you can't control it. That's a boy, okay? A man, a godly man, has learned how to bring under the discipline of God and to control those appetites. He could say I like to hunt or I like to play video games or I've got hobbies but they can never supersede my relationship with God and my family. Amen. Amen. They have self-control. Jake told me that one day we were hanging out one day and we were talking about a major issue that guys struggle with which is lust, right? And Jake said one day one guy was saying to some students and to him, "Hey, just have some self-control." That's right here. This is the idea of when we submit who we are with humility to God and we believe the spirit of God lives in us, he brings the ability that we don't have to control the appetites. And when you have that, you move into manhood, man. And men need to hear this because a lot of times we we take things like hunting or video games or cars. We take things that we are very engaged in that are hobbies. And somehow those hobbies rule our life baseball, getting my kids to every sport. Whatever it is, we find a hobby that somehow takes precedent. And when that happens, you're moving into boyhood, not into manhood. Because manhood, you know how to control these appetites. You bring them underneath God's submission. What about women? Women in this area learn to be confident in their inner value and beauty. You ever been around a girl okay, that's like just coming into being a girl, and everything in that world is about, do I look cute, do I look nice, like, hey, did you like what I wore? I mean, it's like everything around their life, okay, is the external and how everybody is seeing them in that moment, and are they ascribing value to them? What group am I connected to? Who are my friends at school? I mean, y'all have been around that, right? Like that whole drama thing, I'm glad guys don't have that. We just hit each other and move on, right? Girls have that whole drama thing that happens. And it's crazy, right? But have you met a godly woman who's moved past that yet? A godly woman moving into womanhood, right? They're confident in who they are, that God has created them and birthed inside of them an inner beauty that only comes from the spirit of God as God is creating them to be the women that he's calling them to be. And I love it when you start to see that because their inner beauty shines. And this is so important, I'm telling you, in a marriage. Because my wife, I'm just telling you, after 31 years, is more gorgeous than she's ever been. And it's because the inner beauty continues to grow even more. And you and I need to have that perspective when it comes to being a woman and a real man. And the man that controls his appetites and makes sure they're only for his wife. And a wife that says, oh, My inner beauty grows because of what God's doing in me. That's a hot marriage. I'm going to tell you right now. It'll last, okay? It'll go the distance. But the boy and the girl stuff will wreck a marriage. The third thing I see in what it means to be a godly man is this. They're willing to sacrifice for their family. They will literally lay down their life. We don't like this one because in the culture we live in, guys aren't supposed to be guys like that. But the reality is you will take a bullet for the family. That's what I'm talking about that you were willing to defend the family, lay down your life for the family. Like when people, y'all been around a guy like that, right? Like a brother like that. When somebody, like you can, you can talk to them, you can mess with them, you know, but the moment somebody else messes with them that's not in the family, what happens? They wanna throw down. There's this innate thing inside of men to defend their family. And it's part of being a godly man. And it's there and we need to reclaim that. I'll lay down any aspect of my life for my family. And we need that kind of godly manhood. What's that look like in a woman? In a woman, and I I get this from my mom, watching my mom as a young man. There is a tender, strong strength that comes through words of encouragement. A godly woman can shape her family through quiet, reflective prayer and specific words at the right moment. My mom had that ability. She could drop the bomb on the whole family with one word at times. Because she was watching, she was attentive, she was prayerful. And the whole family would toe in line because of how she would bring that word up. And it was almost always a word from God in a very specific way. And they literally will shape the family through that quiet, prayerful word. And that's one of the things you see in women. Guys are supposed to be laying down their lives. Wives and women, you're supposed to be shaping it through your prayer life and your words. And the last thing I see in guys is this. They lead their family spiritually. This is what happened in the garden. This is the wreck in the garden. This is what wrecked the whole idea of manhood and what it means to be a woman. Is the guys in the garden. Y'all, y'all know the story of the garden. If you know the story of the garden, let me give it to you in brief. God said, I'm gonna give you one daggone rule. You can run around this place naked. You don't even care anymore. It's pretty cool, right? You run around this garden, everything's good. You can eat of any tree you want, but don't eat of that tree. The tree of knowledge of... The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. He actually says die, die in the actual original language. It means double death physical death and spiritual death. Eve eats of the fruit, turns to her husband who's been standing there the whole daggone time and says, here you go. He says, looks good to me. And eats it. now I want you to think about this. At that moment, all Adam had to do to save all of humanity, all the wreck that we got from sin was say, wait a minute, Eve. Didn't God say? And he didn't step up. He didn't man up. He didn't grow up in that moment. Men... You need to grow up and be the spiritual leader of your home. That doesn't mean you're the smartest one at everything. It doesn't mean that your wife's not better than you in certain things. It doesn't mean, by the way, that your wife shouldn't be leading certain things because she's better at it than you are. But it does mean that spiritually you should be the one saying, hey, when are we praying together? When are we having dinner together? When are we talking about life together? When are we going to church together? What kind of group are we going to be in? Men need to spiritually lead their homes. And when they lead, and they lead well with compassion, laying down their lives for their wives, putting aside their cares and their hobbies to lead, their wives go, well, on, I'll follow that. Right? That's the difference. Men, you want to know why your wife won't follow you? It might be because you're not leading. Because spiritual leadership is Jesus' kind of leadership. It's the laying down of your life out of love for your family. What do women do in that moment? Women have one of the greatest abilities I've ever seen to structure a family that guys don't have. Like, we can know God's going this way, but we have no idea how to get there. That's just being truthful as a man. I'm just telling you. I'm like, I want God to take us there. I have no idea how to get there. But my wife can multitask. She's smarter in so many ways than I am, and she'll go, well, what if we did this and this and this and this and structure it this way? What if we did this with the kids? And I'm like, oh, that's smart. That'll work. And then we partner together. This is called complementarianism. And we move forward complementing each other in our gifts. And God strengthens our family. And that's the difference between a godly man and a godly woman, from boyhood to manhood, from being a girl to being a woman. We need that redefined in us. And I think that was one of the reasons this point was such a passionate point. It hit me so emotionally this week. We need people to step up, be a man, be a woman. The second thing is we need to look up. That's verse 3. We need to look up. That's the other advice he gave to his son. Look up and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in all his ways, keep his decrees and commands, his laws, his requirements, as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you go. You know, a lot of times in Christianity, we think, and it's, it's a good thing, Jesus paid for all of our sin, yay, right? That's what you saw, which means he, ref, he fulfilled the entire requirement of the law, yay, right? I'm unhappy about that because less pressure on me. But it does not mean the law lost its wisdom. There's things in the law of Moses, in the Old Testament, that when we walk in holiness, when we walk in God's way, there is a natural consequence of benefit that comes into our lives. And that's still true because those consequences happen. Here are the things that typically shape us, again, when we're not thinking the right way. Money becomes our priority. And we're not looking up when we're doing that, are we? We're usually looking out. What about status? What's my role? What's my title? What's my job? Status sometimes the things that we look for, and that's not the thing that we're supposed to look for. Another one that sleeps in if we're not careful is intellect. People that are smart kind of whip up on other people with just being smart, right? And that's not the way it's supposed to work. What about Relationships. Sometimes we draw all of those things, instead of looking upward, we look to all the different relationships we have, and we draw value from those relationships. And I think right here, David's saying to Solomon, mm, look up, look at what God's law says, follow the way. Did y'all know that the early Christians weren't called Christians? It wasn't until they were hanging out in a little a cool little place called Antioch that they actually got to be called Christians. Did you know that? Did you know what they were called before they were called Christians? By the way, Christian is like an insult. Man. You're just a little, 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 bitty Jesus. That's essentially what it was. You're a little, bitty Christ. Can't you come up with anything original? You just follow that dude. Christ, Christian. That's where that came from. It was an insult. But before they were called Christians, they were called the followers of the way. The way. And what that meant was when people looked at Christians, they said, gosh, there's just something so different about you. The way you live, the way you pray, the way you walk, the way you love, the way you use your money, the way you think about work, the way you think about relationships, the way you actually engage one another in your marriages, y'all are just different. There's something about the way. That's what it originally was. And I think the reason was is they were looking in one direction, weren't they? They were looking heavenward. Do you know why Christians look heavenward from the very beginning? This is something we're missing right now. Because they believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. What do you think about that right now and the times we're living in? Y'all watching Israel? There's a good chance. We don't know when. Nobody knows the day nor the hour, but we don't know when. But when Christians anticipate the Lord's return and they look heavenward, when they look up, it changes how they live. Their lives start to resemble and be more holy. Holy. Look at this in Psalm 121 right off the side. Psalm 121, 1 through 2 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Yeah. When we read things like that, what they're saying is, I look to heaven and I look to God's wisdom. Just looking at the Ten Commandments, that's when he said the law of Moses, that's essentially what David was saying. Look at this, and in this perfect law, look at what's there for the benefit of your life and the people around you. One of the ways that I see this come out in the New Testament is Jesus' Great Commission. We miss a lot of times in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You saw that, but then he says something that most churches forget, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. When we look heavenward, we incorporate God's commands into our life. We put them in there in such a way that our life looks very different. Christians should look very different in the world around them. One of the other ways that you look up is you get involved in groups. This is why we talk about groups so much. How do you think I learned to look up? I didn't just stand out in the parking lot when they go, okay, God, give it to me, okay? If I had done that, y'all would have come by and said, did you stop taking your meds? Like there'd have been a problem, wasn't there? How I learned to look up was I looked at other Christians that had a deep relationship with God and I asked them, how are you looking up? How do you connect with God? What does your prayer life look like? And as I heard and shared my life with them in group, I learned how to look upward to heaven through their lens. We need that. You also do that in ministry, don't you? Y'all didn't get to see it. I mean, Karen's such a wonderful gal. I don't know where she snuck off to. She's an introvert. Where are you? She's somewhere around here, okay? But she's such a beautiful Christian. She has, there she is. She's such a beautiful young woman in Jesus, but struggles sometimes with confidence, right? I love that your you're, you're youth pastor, even though now you're in college, okay, he's still your youth pastor, was well, standing here during rehearsal, singing right in your face saying, you got it, sing. We need that in ministry. We need that in groups. We get that in relationship with people. And when we get that, it helps us to look upward. It helps us to look heavenward. And i tell you what, I learned how to have a great hang time or a quiet time with Jesus through his word and through my prayer life by being in groups with people that were doing the same thing. You catch it. That's why it's so important to have a group. And the last thing I think that he was saying to his son was this, slow up. So he was telling him to grow up. That's pretty good. He needs to grow up. He needs to look up. And we all, this is what I need to hear more than any of you. We need to slow up. Verse 4, he says, And that the Lord may keep his promise if your, descend- um, if your descendants watch how they live. Watch how they live. We don't even slow down long enough to figure out how we live. And if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you'll never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Those of you that are Bible students, how long did it take for David's man to fall off the throne? This was it. You get two generations. And the next one's arguable because because the kingdom splits. So what happened? They were so busy worrying about their lives. They were so busy worrying about grabbing power. They were so busy about grabbing the wealth of Israel. They were so busy being busy That they didn't stop and just spend time with the Lord to hear what God wanted. Because if they had, you wouldn't have had the split that you see in Israel. You wouldn't have seen a weakened nation. You probably wouldn't even have what's going on right now in the Middle East. If Solomon and all of his descendants would have followed David's advice in this moment. If they would have slowed down. I love that David's like, gosh, I know God has promised this to me. How do you think David knew that God promised this to him? I mean, David's like you and I, he's a normal dude. He had the Davidic covenant. How do you think he got to the Davidic covenant? It's interesting, right? Nathan told him through the prophet, through the word. So how would we find that? We've got the word today. We read it in our quiet time, in our stillness, in our hang time. And I'm telling you that when you do that and you pray that God will reveal something to you, he shows up. And he reveals promises to you and your family. And some of the things that he will reveal through that and his still small voice will freak you out. But you can only hear it in the stillness and quietness of a quiet time. The reason I'm convinced that a lot of us don't get to hear the voice of God the way we used to is we won't slow down long enough to hear God. I don't know if you figured that out yet. We usually got something shoved in our face, TV, phone, tech. How can I hear the voice of God in that moment? I'm running around all the time. Never have space for God to interrupt my life. Show up maybe say, do this instead of this. I couldn't even answer God's call because maybe I'm so financially um, in debt. If God said, move here for a year, I couldn't do it. We're so oversaturated, overfilled, and we know it and we're sick of it, aren't we? A lot of us are just like, I just don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be this busy. I don't want to be this filled with every moment, but I do want to be filled with the very presence and life of God. And when you can slow down long enough and just listen, you will learn to hear the voice of God. And it's not an audible voice like you're hearing me right now. I mean, God can do what he wants if he wants to show up and give you an audible voice. Just make sure you get checked by a doctor afterward, make sure it was him, okay? But here's how he typically does it. In my prayer life, and I'm reading the word, I will get such a strong impression. And it's like a whisper. In that moment, then I'll test it, and I'll go to people in my group, and I'll think, I think the Lord spoke in this way. What do you think? Let's pray about it. And we pray, and then we come into agreement. I'll go to my wife and say, I think this is what God said. Do you think so? And then we come into agreement. And then his voice, That still small voice is confirmed. And then I start seeing things in the scriptures and I'm like, oh, he's affirming it this way too. And then sometimes he might show up and say something to you that'll really mess you up. He'll say, I've called you to something. I've called you to lead a ministry. I've called you to serve in a ministry. I've called you to change this about your community. I've called you to change this about this life of this other person. And you'll hear it. In that still small voice. So here's my question for you this week. Will you please set a pace, or this week would you do this, set a pace that will outlast you, just like David wanted his throne to outlast him? And the good news is, David had that happen eventually in the person of Jesus. And the same thing is true for you. It happens to the person of Jesus. I want to pray for you on this in a moment, and that'll give you a chance to transition for baptism. But I want to pray for you specifically because I want you to be able to just spend a moment being able to hear the voice of God and respond to God. Amen? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, for each and every person here, I know something that they they or may or may not know, but I know this, Lord. I know this so clearly you've called every single person in this room to something bigger than who they are. That the mission of Jesus to save the world and save each of us one soul at a time is bigger than who we are and you've created us uniquely to be able to do that. Father, we need to first grow up in our faith so we can hear your voice well. If there's anything in us today, Lord, that needs to be removed or matured, Show it to us. Give us the humility to receive from you what you're doing in our lives personally and help us to grow up to be the men and the women of God that you called us to be. Father, give us the desire that we don't even have in this moment to stop looking outward at the world around us but to only look heavenward for the answers that we need. Begin to speak to us through your Holy Spirit in ways that we cannot even imagine. And then, Father, slow us down every day to read your word and to pray. And as we pray and read your word, speak to us. And then as you speak, give us opportunities to show our faithfulness back to you. Father, we thank you for what Christ has done for each and every person in this room. That He lived the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life. And after he lived, he died a horrible death on a cross to pay for our sin. And then when he paid for our sin, he enabled us to be able to commit a life back to him that would have greater value and purpose. Thank you that we get to join you on your mission, the mission that you've been about for thousands of years, a mission that precedes us, Lord, and for many of us will last long after we're here. We thank you for your return. We can't wait for you to come back and change the world in which we live. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to move into a time of baptism for a second. But as I, this is Gio. Uh, I know there's a, there's a microphone somewhere here. We got to find one. I know I got one somewhere. How about number five? Does that work okay, Aaron? He says, Yes. He wants to give you, we give him just a few minutes to talk to us about the cool things that God is doing at Love, Inc., especially through Code Purple. Thank you so much.
1: I think that's what the blue line is for, right? I might be wrong. I don't know. Uh, But thank you so much, Pastor Larry. Thank you for the word that the Lord has laid on your heart uh, to grow up, look up, and slow up. And I think this, specifically with Code Purple and what the Lord is doing through the ministry of Love, Inc., is an opportunity to slow up is an opportunity for us to slow up so that people who would normally be out in the cold, people who don't have a place where they can call home, people who would not normally come to this place to gather, to hear the gospel, to be part of a community can come and meet you. Some people will never set foot in a church, but you will be the closest thing that they can experience a church to be. Someone who will give up one night, or maybe one night a month, you pick, but someone who will give up a time so that people through you could see what it means to grow up, look up, and slow up. So if you're interested into learning more about what Cold Purple might be, which is essentially an overnight shelter for people uh, who don't have a home during the winter, uh, and and I just want to thank you as well. Because grace has opened their doors yet again, yet again, to be a safe haven for these people. And that's because of your commitment. And so I also want to thank you for that. But we need, we need godly people, not just bodies, right? Because the temptation when we don't find what we need, right, is like, let's just get warm bodies in there. But it reminds me of in the book of Acts when... Uh, the the apostles were trying to fulfill all the responsibilities, and they needed people to wait at table. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate for us to wait tables, but they said, "Let's let us look for people who are full of the Spirit." Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want warm bodies. I want people who have warm spirits, warmed by the Spirit of God, who are willing to give up an overnight. And bring a friend, because you can have another person with you. I would prefer that. But bring a friend, because we have a a women's shelter here from December 1st to March 15th. And we have one in St. Luke's for men. Okay, So if you're willing to help us cover one night, four nights, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, please reach out to me. It would be an honor. So thank you for this time. Hey, stay there for a
0: second. I want to pray for because um, if y'all don't know, loving that's one thing that they're doing. They're also doing a lot of other things. And right now, uh, it just happened this weekend, uh, so I don't have all the information for you yet. But Gerald, who's back there, uh, stepped up. We believe in leadership. Uh, God bursts a leader, and then he bursts a ministry. Yeah, every time. And so Gerald had come to me while we were uh, working on our deck. <laughs> Thank you, Gerald. And he said, um, "Hey, um, I just want you to know, I want to get back to at least one uh, night um, a month feeding the homeless in our, our community." partnership with Love, Inc. And so we made that connection. And then uh, he also reminded me of something we were doing that we need to, I'll get more information. Carol's been good about reminding me to make this again. and we will probably get this in the bulletin soon, Carol, is uh, one of the things that everybody can do is just make sandwiches, right? Make sandwiches every week bag and bring them to church. And then we can give those sandwiches uh, to feed this community. And that's something almost everybody can do. So we're going to get that in the bulletin for you as another missional way that we can engage, but before he leaves, I want to pray for this ministry because, um, and I want you to stay if you want to talk to him. He's going to be at the Go desk over there with Donald. Say hi, Donald. There's Donald. Hi, Donald. Yeah, he'll be over there with Donald. Uh, that way you can ask personal questions, learn more about Code Purple, and then uh, we also have um, a site coordinator this year right over here in Katie. And so Katie's going to be coordinating our site for the women's shelter. And so encourage her, love on her, learn what you can about Code Purple and then learn also about this incredible ministry because if you don't know about loving, it's a lot of churches across the entire area partnering together to be the body of Christ because we can't do everything as one church but being in partnership, we can do a whole lot more. So I just wanna pray for you guys and pray for your ministry if that's okay. Yeah, Father in heaven, thank you so much for Gio. Thank you for his time and coming here today. Sacrificing time is the greatest commodity we have. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for his leadership, his calling. Uh, Thank you for not only his calling, but the calling of each and every person that's been called to serve as a leader and uh, loving. Thank you for the leadership that you provided for there. Thank you for the people of this church that are part of that board. Thank you for the people of this church that continue to support uh, the most marginalized in our community. And we thank you that your gospel is for all people, all people all races, all ethnic, all social strata, Lord. We want your gospel to be known by all people. We thank you for a partnership like Love, Inc. We pray your blessing over them, that your funding would equip everything that they need and they would have such a surplus that people come to know Jesus every day of the week. We thank you for this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Thanks, brother, appreciate you.